0: have uh last week we started a sh- a study on Philippians and uh Philippians is the epistle of joy. Uh, I I mentioned it last week that uh joy is mentioned 19 times in this book and uh honestly I I love I love the word joy. I want to I want to talk a little bit about that word joy tonight um and, as we go along. But to kind of give you a little bit, if you weren't here last week, to kind of give you a little bit of uh, understanding about the book of Philippians, uh, the it's uh, the Philippians is from the city of Philippi, that is one of Paul's uh, first churches in uh, what we'd call Europe, not in Asia Minor, but actually in Europe, and you remember the story, just he was on his way to Asia, and he was looking for a place to minister, he met with... Timothy there and, and was, was on his way, moving around, trying to find a place. And wh- I talked about this last week, that um, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We, I, I mentioned that verse out of Psalms, uh, I believe it's 34, chapter 34. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, but the stops of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Sometimes God will just put a, a no in front of you. And, and sometimes we're trying to force a door open, but God's saying no. And so Paul is looking for a place to minister, and he's going all over Asia Minor, and he finds himself with his back to uh, to the sea. And you guys remember that he he has a vision, and the Macedonian man comes down and says, hey, come minister to us. And so then he does, I love what he does there. He, he falls in line with what the Spirit of God told him to do. He gets on a ship, and he goes straight across straight to Macedonia which is Greece it'd be it'd be Greece today and when he gets there things are not what he thought they were going to be he doesn't run into a man first of all he shows up there on the Sabbath and he runs into a group of women that are praying on the Sabbath day one of them being Lydia who is the purple of, of, of uh, uh, or maker of purple cloth and so she she had a very established business making this purple cloth and through this group of women the church of Philippi was started, or the Philippian church. And this is one of the churches that Paul admonishes he loves dearly. Matter of fact, the, if you go back to chapter 1, on his, in most of the books that Paul writes, he has usually a formal, uh, uh, like when he introduces himself, he'll do it formally to the Romans. And he'll lay out some of his credentials to the book. Uh, to this book, to the Philippians, he is very just like he's writing a letter to his family. Basically, he loves them dearly. So that kind of kind of gives you a setup. If you're if you're not sure where we're at, that kind of helps you out. If you're coming in cold here, uh, into chapter two, chapter one, I, I mentioned this. Uh, Philippians has four four chapters and it's broken into four sections. It's common sense, all right. And chapter one deals with uh, the subject of the single mind. Um, And then, um, you know, basically, we talked about that last week. Uh, Chapter 2 deals with the submitted mind, the submitted mind. Chapter 3 deals with the simple mind. That's my favorite chapter because that's me. I'm the simple mind kind of person. And chapter 4 deals with the settled mind. And in chapter 2, as he talks about uh, Jesus willingly submitting himself to the plan of his father... I don't know about you, but as a believer, I want to follow in Jesus's footsteps and I want to be that person that is willing to listen to the voice of God and be obedient to what God is asking me and and wanting me to do. Are you with me? All right. So Paul tells us not only are we are we to have a single mind, but a submitted mind. And so uh, we'll break this down. Uh, if you want to do this in subheadings, your Bible may have these in subheadings. I, I typically do this just to help organize myself here. Uh, the first few portions of this of this chapter it deals with Christ's example of humility. How many know it's so hard to be humble? You guys know that song, no? Some of you, some of you older people might. know. Lord, it's so hard to be humble, right? And uh, but something there's something about humility that we hear in scripture and and there's something about walking in humility as as a believer in christ that that will catch god's attention and we're going to point that out uh here so so the first heading would be Christ's example of humility philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and any sympathy Complete my joy, there's one of the joys, by being the same mind, I like that, having the same love, I like that, being in full accord and of one mind. So, what we need to know about this is the the Holy Spirit instructed Paul to write these words. The Holy Spirit, you know... It wasn't just Paul just pinning, but I believe by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes these first words. And so if, and can I ask you this, or can I tell you this, if Christ has been good to you, if he's been there for you, if he's stood by you, uh, you know, and if he's fulfilled your joy, can I tell you this, uh, our joy is, is, is being like-minded in, in the body of Christ. We have to be in one accord as believers. We don't have to agree on everything, but I can tell you this, if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he is our Savior. Let me tell you what, that that is a good start, all right? Because that tells us already that we have submitted our will to the Lord's, okay? So we're talking about a submitted mind here, okay? Uh, What a great thing for uh, our Lord to see working within us, the same mind and the same spirit. There's nothing that is better than seeing a church that is not in conflict, that is not cracking, that is not splitting, that is not broken, but is working in one accord and one mind. Matter of fact, when when they were in the upper room, the, you know, when the spirit came down, they were in one mind and one accord. Powerful things happen when we are in one mind and one accord. Look at, at Paul and Silas in prison. When they were in one mind, one accord, singing songs, when they shouldn't have been singing songs, powerful things can happen. And if we get that in our hearts, let me tell you something. Cornerstone will explode. And we're not doing this for our glory, but we're doing it for God's glory. And I, 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 I we have to look at this in, at, in ourself and say, hey, God, do I have your mind? Am I following your, or am I, I mean, my tendency is this, to, to go back to my own desires and my own, is anybody with me? I do that sometimes. And, and and here's the thing. When my kids fight at home, me and Tristan are miserable. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. When your kids are fighting and you just get to a point, you're just tired of it, right? Now, th- stop and think about that. Those of you who have kids, so you're smiling at me right now. Those of you who have kids, there is nothing that makes you happier than when you walk in and your kids are getting along. It's almost like... Let's not mess up any of the balance in the room because if we do something, it's going to shift something in the air, right? And and they're playing and laughing and learning together. It's a beautiful thing to experience as a parent. But I wonder when the Lord looks at us and he sees us walking in one mind, one accord, laughing, learning together, growing together. A big smile can't help but be on his face and say, man, I love what's going on down there. All right? So it says, fulfill my joy. So Paul says, revealing the heart of our Lord by Being in one accord. So how does this happen? So we got to keep reading. Verse 3 says this. Everyone put on your seatbelt. Verse 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How do we get in one accord? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I want to show you something. There's There's a story at the pool of Bethesda when the water was troubled by the angel. And there was all these... These people who had illnesses that were there. When the water, the the story goes, when the water was troubled by the angel, the first person in would be healed. And you guys know the story. There was a lame man there who sat there every day, day after day, month after month, maybe year after year, trying to basically win a competition. Think about it. The water would stir. They'd all be battling to get into the water. The first person there was supposed to be healed. And Jesus shows up one day, and he asks a man who had been lame for a long time. He says, hey, do you want to be healed? I love how Jesus asks questions to people like, absolutely, I want to be healed. But this man doesn't say that. What he says there, he's basically, he says, I want to, but when, when the water's troubled, guess what? I'm not in a place where I can, I can get myself over there because it was competition. But Jesus, do you know what he says to him? He says, hey, pick up your bed and walk. He tells them that it's not about competitions. let's not stick here at the pool of competition where people are striving to get ahead. And unfortunately, when we're selfish, when we do things out of our own desire sometimes, we make it a competition. We may not even realize that we're making it a competition, but we're struggling to get ourself ahead, to get our blessing. Are you with me? Let nothing be done in strife or vain glory. You know... Um, Oftentimes, we compare, especially in the younger generation, we compare our worth by the amount of likes that we have on social media or the amount of people that follow us, especially in the younger generation. They, they get their worth out of that. Or we say this, hey, I'm better at this than you. Many people on the, the church basketball team could look at me and say, I'm better at basketball than pastor. And I would say most of them could probably say that. You know what? I just do it for the fun of it. And you may look at someone and say, hey, I'm more gifted at them. Why are they in that ministry? I could teach better than them. But can I tell you this? I I read this today. Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. When we begin to compare ourselves uh, and we begin to talk about, hey, I'm better than this person at this. Or I'm more gifted at this than this. Whatever the case, Phil, in the scenario, we are setting ourselves up. Because the enemy can come in and steal our joy. You know, God created you unique. You're unique. You're authentic. You are who you are supposed to be. And comparison oftentimes kills us because we, we want to compare and say, I, I want to be like that person. I or I, I see their gifting and I want to be like their gifting. Let me tell you something. Some one of the best things you can do is get comfortable in your own skin. Because God created you to be in your skin, not in someone else's skin. So when I compare myself to others, I fail to see the good in them. That's what happens. When I start comparing myself to others, you know what happens? I compare my strengths to their weaknesses. I'm good at basketball. You're not good at basketball. Guess what? That makes me feel good about myself. But the truth of the matter is it should be the opposite. I should be comparing my weaknesses to someone else's strength. Now, that's, I know that's a tough pill to swallow. I, Paul comes out swinging. I love this. You know, he comes out really hard right here. And unfortunately, the church oftentimes is the most competitive place. Unfortunately, sometimes people are, are lobbying to, to get to this or this or I want to be this or can I be this director and this. And, and at the end of the day, you know what I've learned is if you're gifted at something, you do not have to advance yourself. God will advance you in his time. I am living proof of that. Man, it may seem like it takes a long time, but God will advance you in his time. Be of one mind, one accord. Now, now, Paul, I didn't mention this. Uh, Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing from prison. Many believe, and I believe, that he's in a Roman prison here, and he's writing to them. Some scholars believe that he wasn't, but I believe that that's where he was. And he's encouraging them, And he's, he's in, and here's what we need to know. In this, and we'll find out in in chapter 4, there's a little bit of a schism that's happening here in the Philippian church. He had no fault to get them. He's not not calling them out. He's just basically loving on them. But he sees something. He sees a crack, a little crack. And he's dealing with it. He's catching it before it gets too far. Be of one mind and one accord. Uh, Not us versus them, but all in one mind for Christ. Okay? Uh, Let's go on. It says, but in... Humility, whoo, Jesus, help me right here. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. How many have trouble with that one? I don't know about you. I love myself, and you love yourself. You do. You do. The King James Version says, uh, esteem others as being better than yourself. That's what it says. So, this is the key. Let each one of you esteem others, count others more significant as, as being better than yourself. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Say, hey, pastor, how do I do that? You know, how do I esteem someone better than me? Even though I know I may be gifted or better than them in some, how do I esteem them better than me? By simply realizing that everyone you meet, everyone around you is better at something than you are. We all have different gifts in here. We all have different strengths. How many people can sew in here? All right. How many cannot? How many people can cook in here? How many cannot? How many are good at golf in here? Nobody. Oh, you guys are telling the truth in here. All right. How many are not? But we all have different giftings, and there's, no matter who I run into, it could be anybody, there's there's worth in somebody, and there's a gifting in them that's better than what I can do. And we have to learn to see people that way. It's not comparing their weakness to my strength, and I mentioned that earlier. It's me comparing their strength to my weakness. Uh, if If we did the opposite of Instagram, you know, Instagram, we... We look for gratification. But if we did the opposite of Instagram, man, it would change our perspective. It's not a matter about likes. It's not a matter about people liking me. It's about me loving on other people, loving on others. Uh, and, And we compared our weaknesses to other strengths. It will mean that we are looking up at others instead of looking down on them. When we esteem them, when we see what's good in them, guess what? I'm looking up at someone, not looking down at someone. Boy, that's a good point right there. Something we can learn and and we can strive to do. I don't know about you. I've been guilty of this. Sometimes and every once in a while, and I have to ask the Lord to help me. I've met people, and and how many have ever made a quick judgment when you meet someone? I'm better than them. Right? Just being honest. We're being real here. But the truth of the matter is, Paul's warning us, this is a dangerous place and a dangerous precedent to start in our lives. Because even though I may think I'm better than them, they may be better at something than, than I am. And I may not even realize it. And once we look into their lives and we explore who they are, we have to conclude it's a privilege to, to know them. Once we realize that there's worth in them and once we understand, we look up to them, there's worth it. If everybody did that in the world, we wouldn't have an issue. If everybody esteemed everyone greater than what the way, way we esteem ourselves, if everyone would love their neighbor like they love themselves, guess what? We'd be in good shape. We would be in good shape. So, uh, and I have no right to look down on, on people, and I have no right to say, "Hey, hey, I'm better, I'm better than you." I, do, I don't have that right. And so Paul's warnings here, "My flesh or my carnal self doesn't work this way." And I, I tell you what, I, have to, I struggle with this. And if you're being real, you're, you struggle with this. We all struggle with this. It's a weakness within us. And oftentimes I compare just to make myself feel better. I compare oftentimes to make myself feel better. So when we develop that, the, the mindset that we are privileged to be with everyone around us, you know what happens? Joy. Because they're worth it, and they're worth it, and you're worth it you're worth it, and you're worth it, and then all of a sudden, guess what, I'm I'm esteeming everyone, and we're esteeming each other, and guess what, the place is happy because we're not looking down on somebody. Comparison and competition, that's what causes issues. It's a challenge, and yet it's something we can choose to do. You know, oftentimes we say, man, that seems like a lofty thing, that's a hard thing to do, but I tell you what, if you get up every day and say, God, help me to have a submitted mind to love others, to see others the way that you see them. Help me to see the good in them and not what I see with my physical eyes, but what you see in them, Lord. And the spirit of God responds to humility before it responds to giftings. Do you hear, do you hear that? The spirit of God responds to humility before it responds to giftings. You want God to be around you, you want God to move in our services, come here with humility. And, and, and giftings are great, talents are great, all those things are great, and I think we should work and we should strive to be the best that we can be, but you want the presence of God, humility is how you catch God's attention. Proverbs three thirty four says, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he what? Gives favor. He gives favor. How many want favor in your life? Walk in humility. That's it. All you have to do is walk in humility. Guess what? Instead of thinking that you know everything, you have it all down, maybe open up your mind and say, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe they do have a good idea. Maybe your kids are smarter than what you're giving them credit for. Walk in humility. Again and again, the scripture Talks about this humility towards others is the key to a joyful heart and a fruit producing Christian walk. Humility that catches God's attention. God opposes the what? Proud, but gives grace to the. That's right. So Paul is reminding us to keep this uh, a submitted mindset with with the help of the Lord every day. Because let me tell you something: you can't do it on your own. You're gonna have to pray every day. You say, God, you're gonna have to help this mind today because. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we do it, and sometimes we create a habit, and once you've done it for a long time, it's hard to break. And when you catch yourself doing that, the Holy Spirit catches you, you need to say, God, help me, help me right now, help me to have a submitted mind to you. Verse 4 says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. So Paul just keeps coming out and swinging, and you know, here he is, okay. How many are concerned about what's, what your neighbors are doing? How many are concerned about what, you know, people that, that, that may have needs? I mean, oftentimes, the, this scripture is telling us, let's not only look to our own interest, but be wise enough to look at the interest of others. Hey, is this going to benefit them? If I do this, will this hurt them? And I believe that verse 4 is the key to verse 3 here. And the key is to not only, is, is to not look down at people, but to look into people. Don't look down at people. When when you have that comparison, don't look down at them, but look into them. Ask God. Say, hey, God, help me to see their heart like you see their heart. Help me to see them like you see them. You may see them as a bum on the street, but God sees them as a sanctified child of God. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of times where I didn't treat that person like I should have treated that person because they were valuable in God's eyes. I know this is heavy, but it's good. So here's what we need to know. Everyone is fighting a battle, right? Everybody's fighting a battle. If I said, how many people are having a struggle? Raise your hand. All right. Most of us would raise our hands. And if you're not having a struggle, stick around. You'll have one at some point in your life. If we were made aware of those battles that other people are facing, we would oftentimes respond differently to people. Here's what I know. Some people are pretty private about their life. And when they come into this church, they can put on a good smiley face, and they can make you think that everything's okay. But they may be battling deep in their heart when they leave this place. You don't know the condition of their marriage, and you don't know the condition of, of situations that they're dealing with. And oftentimes, people won't, won't tell you these things because maybe, maybe there's a little bit of pride, or maybe they're struggling financially, and they just don't want people to know. But ultimately, we've got to look at people and say, hey, they may be going through a battle. So am I being a light to that person? Am I, am I giving them hope? Am I showing them Jesus? And here's the thing. You know, uh, verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. So that can come down to one word, and that's this. It goes back to this word, comparison. When I care about just my interest and not someone else's, it's not healthy. Comparison for others, uh, you know, or com- uh, here's, uh, or I'm sorry, it comes down to one word. I'm sorry. This is my fault. Compassion. Everyone say compassion. Pastor needs glasses. Compassion. <laughs> compassion for others. Everyone say compassion for others. Compassion for others will help us keep a humbled mindset and a submitted mindset to one another. Guess what? When I learn to love someone, when I have compassion for someone, when I see something in them, and I don't just look at the physical situation, and I don't look at that scenario, but I look at who God sees. When I look at that and I have compassion for them, it moves God. You look at many of the miracles that Jesus did, uh, several of them. If If you look it up, he was moved with compassion many times. And in our lives, we should have compassion for others. And if you don't, you ought to pray, God, change my heart. Verse 5 says this, have this mind among yourselves. Talking about that mind, basically putting others before yourself. Notice again, again and again, the emphasis in Philippians is not how we feel, but how we think. It's not based on feelings. It's a battle of The mind, Philippians, and and Paul is, is writing to the church here, and he's telling them this. Hey, it's not how we feel, it's how we think. Can I tell you this? I think I said this last week, that God cannot or will not change your mind, but he will change your heart. You can change your mind, and God can change your heart. So here's what we need to know by saying that. I hope I said that right. By saying that is this, is God can work on your heart, but I can change the way that I think. God's not going to change the way you think. You develop your own stinking thinking. If you have bad thinking, that's on you. That's not on the Lord. God gives you free will. But God will change your heart if you allow him to. So coming into this, so have this mind among yourselves. And I don't know about you, but there's ever been a time that we needed to hear this. It's right now. One mind, one accord. Love God. Love others. Esteem others better than yourself. You want to do something radical? Learn to love people like the way Jesus loved people. I don't have a prerequisite for you. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to pray for you. I don't know if I can fulfill every one of your needs, but I'm just going to bless you because I feel like God is speaking to me. Smile at someone in the grocery. Pull your mask down in the grocery store and smile at someone. (laughs) I know. Make sure you're six feet away. They might be able to see your eyes. But smile at someone at the grocery store. Smile at the person that you go and you get a coffee every day at the same convenience store. Strike up a conversation with that person. Tell them. Let them know that the love of Jesus exudes from you. Don't be that customer that's like, man, here we go again. Card machines down again. Don't be that person. Be the person that says, hey, it's okay. I'll catch you next time. So the next portion says, which is, so we have this mind among yourselves, and this is what it is, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now we come to the most theological important section of this, of this text. This, there's something profound here. Something super profound here, and it's so easy to to slip over really fast. The mindset we should share is the mindset of Jesus. Love others. Love God. Love others, right? Love God. Love others. Everyone say, love God. I'm not blessing you like a priest. Love others, right? So, you know, the Ten Commandments. First four deal with me and my relationship with God. The last six deal with me and my relationship with all of you. Okay, love God, love others. His mindset and character were defined by these things right here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and God help us on this one, self-control. I like them all until we get to self-control. That means I need to keep my mind and I need to keep my attitude and I need to keep my heart in check. Say, hey, put this through the filter of, of Jesus' character. Am I showing patience? Am I showing kindness? When that person doesn't go, when the light turns green, instead of yelling, hey, I'm waiting, are you waiting for that to turn another shade of green? That's, that's just me, all right? Am I the only one that does that? Instead of growing angry and saying, the accelerator's on the Right? got to let go of the break. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm giving you I'm just opening up right now. Okay, I it feels good to get this off my chest. Go. No. Uh instead of being that way having self-control and saying, "You know what? Maybe they're just having a bad day and maybe they're just their mind's not there and they're not taking off fast enough. But that's okay. What's it going to cost me like 10 seconds?" I probably need that 10 seconds just to breathe and relax. And and honestly, we got to keep our mind and our attitude and our heart in check. Verse 6 says this, who though he was in the form of God, now we're going to get to the theological part here. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at this, verse 7, but emptied himself. So the Greek word for empty is canoe. It's not C-A-N-O-E. It is K-E-N-O-O. And the King James Version, how many have a King James Version Bible here? It says what? You guys are like, oh, wait, I didn't know I was supposed to have my Bible open. It says reputation. Made himself of no reputation. Jesus emptied himself, okay, The Greek translation there is is actually emptied. But Jesus emptied himself of what? Of, Of his divinity? No. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He was still God. He was man, but he was still God. When Jesus came as a man, he was still divine. But what he emptied himself of, now buckle up. You need to write this down if you're a note taker. He emptied himself of his divine powers. As a man okay he's still God, he's still divine, but he emptied himself of divine powers now i so I'm going I'm to explain something to you here. the doctrine of kenosis okay here is 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 huge because it means everything that jesus did let me let me clarify what i'm saying here. it means that everything that Jesus did, the miracles, his ministry, the prayers, the teachings were not done in his own power. Jesus healed, he taught and prayed through the power of the holy spirit and by the direction of, of god the father that is the, do, the the doctrine of kenosis now now real really fast you can s- slip through this really fast reading it and miss something here some and right, so and you're saying you may say hey tj are you saying jesus wasn't divine that's not what i'm saying look at me that is not what i am saying what i'm saying is he emptied himself of his divine power And he lived like you and I. When he fell down, it hurt. When Lazarus died, he wept. He felt pain like you feel pain. He walked the same earth that you walked. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it puts into perspective when he was tempted in the desert at a whole new level to me because... Uh, he prayed all night and he performed miracles under simply the same thing that we have, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I have always understood this, but but I haven't always understood this, but Jesus emptied himself of his divine ability and walked under the leading of the Spirit of God and ordered, and God the Father ordered his step. And, and honestly, your steps are ordered just like Jesus's were. And you can walk in the divine power of the Holy Spirit just like Jesus did. That, what, that is what makes him the ultimate example for you and I. That's what makes him the ultimate example for you and I. I'll show you something. John 530 says this. Jesus would say of my own self, I can do nothing. And honestly, none of us can in here. Truthfully. None of us can do nothing. I, I'll give you an example. Can you heal somebody? Can you deliver somebody? Now, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have Jesus Christ living in you, can you lay hands on the sick and they recover? That's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so Jesus emptied himself. He modeled it for you and, and, and me that we can empty ourselves of pride and our own desires. And honestly, the way we empty ourselves is such a small scale compared to what Jesus emptied himself. Coming from heaven down to earth to be a man. You don't realize how low he went to be relatable. And I say this, hey, I want to be led by the spirit like Jesus was. Look at this. next portion of this says, by taking, and this is continuing here, I want to show you something. By taking the form of a, what does it say? By taking the form of a being born in the likeness of Matthew 20:28 20, says even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many So kenosis, tucked away here in Philippians 2, is the doctrine that is of gigantic importance relating, pertaining to joy. Because honestly, you know where our joy comes from? It comes from being led by the Spirit of God and our steps being ordered of God. So like Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, emptied himself, we too are to empty ourselves. I don't know about you. I struggle with that. I told you earlier, I love me some me. And you love you some you. And Jesus, he was a servant. God has called us all to be servants. Hey, Jesus, when he came, he was obedient to what the father told him to do. If the father didn't want him to do it, he didn't do it. He was a servant. Verse 8 says this, so further clarify this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, he was obedient to the false e- even death on a cross. So I I don't know about you when I when I read that, when I think about him coming and being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, all I can say is, thank you Jesus for being that way. Because I, I'm not worthy of that. Thank you. And Jesus was empowered by the Spirit after his. Uh, I give you some clarification. He was empowered by the Spirit after his baptism. He said. I'm dying to myself, and he said this, Lord, your will be done in my life. From this point on, God, where I step, what I do, your will be done in me. Because of the Old Testament scriptures teaches us that every single sin must be atoned for, it's no wonder Jesus had to be slain before the foundations of the world. That's what Revelation 13.8 says. And Jesus didn't just go to the cross that Friday for a few hours. Can I tell you something? He submitted himself to the Father's plan long before he went to the cross. He said, hey, God, hey, Father, this is I'm going to submit to you. A price was paid, and I can tell you this. I don't think we'll even understand the price that was paid until we get to heaven. We'll fully understand it. Then, then uh, look at this, then with tears flowing down our cheeks, we will say this, truly thou art worthy. That's what a Revelation four eleven says. Verse 9 says this, therefore God, I love this verse, you've heard me quote this a lot, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What's his name? What's his name? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. 1 Peter 5 6 says this Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, what he may exalt you. You know what Jesus did? He humbled himself, he submitted his will to the Father. And what did, what did the Father do? He what? What's the scripture say? Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted. Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. You know, cancer is a scary name, but Jesus' name is more powerful than cancer. Marriage problems or divorce is a scary name, but can I tell you something? Jesus is a more powerful name. Depression is a scary name, but Jesus is a more powerful name. Government is a scary name, but Jesus is more powerful than the government. Amen. So if you, here's what I've learned. If you exalt yourself and do, you demand your way, let me tell you something. You will not be exhausted. You'll be abased. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. That's the way the kingdom works. Not my rules, that's the Lord's rules. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. He's the perfect example of this. God exalted him because he humbled himself by becoming a servant to the point of death for you, for you, for you, for me, for all of us. And Jesus, if you were to go across the world, Jesus' name is almost known everywhere in the world. Maybe there's some indigenous people that don't know the name of Jesus because they have no outside source. They've been in a jungle locked away for 70, 80 years, okay? But Jesus, he humbled himself. Now, he has a name that other religious leaders, and it's stronger than the other religious leaders. It's stronger than sickness, stronger than death even. The name of Jesus has power today. Do you believe that? Look at this. Verse 10 says this. So, That at the name of Jesus, everyone say Jesus. So God has highly exalted Jesus' name. Look at this. So now at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I like that scripture. Can I tell you something? You're going to bow one day. I don't care who you are. You're going to bow one day. You're going to open your mouth and you're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We love that scripture, right? I love that scripture. And, and you may say, hey, TJ, does that mean that on that day all those people will be saved? No. It does not. See, there's a there's coming of time, we're in this dispensation of grace right now, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will answer you. But at this moment, if you're at this moment where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you have not asked the Lord to be the Lord of your life, let me tell you something. You done missed the boat, but you're still going to confess that he is Lord. See, many would say... You know, I've heard people, you know, they may say, hey, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe in God. Can I tell you, name anyone in the history of time, the corridor of time, they're going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love this. I love that. Uh, and they will say, you know, it, it, we, this, it, in Scripture, Matthew 7, 23, it says, they will say, Lord, that day, and, and, and only to hear that the Lord will say, depart from me because I never knew you. That's why Romans 10, 9 is so important for us today. That is why we share the good news because we want as many people on that day when they confess that that they've already got it right here. We already knew that he was the Lord. I say this at funerals. And, and I think it's bare repeating today. What you do with Jesus in this life will determine what he does for you in the next. How you live today will determine what he does for you in the next life for you. And, and those of us who say, you know, we might say, hey, I'm flawed. I failed. And I have all kinds of problems. But can I tell you something? Jesus is my Lord. How many love that? We don't have to be perfect, but God, by his grace, he has saved us. All right. Verse 12, this is the second second part, lights in the world. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. All right, hopefully that wasn't too heavy for you. Verse 12 says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not work for your salvation. This This scripture has been misquoted by a lot of people. Now, James... James says that, uh, you know, you show, me, you show me your works, okay. You, you proved by what you're doing that, that you are saved. Not that those things save you. And Paul in this, say, he's saying this, you've got to work it out. That it's not work for your salvation. It's work it out. I talked about that word saved. That means continually. Continually being saved. I talked about that a few weeks ago. And we have to work it out. So don't, this is basically what this is saying. And as believers, this is, this is our issue. Don't just sit on your duff. Exercise your faith. Here's my problem. Oftentimes, I want to get in relaxed mode and I want to get in cruise control. Anybody with me? See, I can get a gym membership. And it's cool to have a gym membership. But it's going to the gym that's going to make a difference in my life. I can get saved, but I need to work that salvation. I need to every day get up with what? With amazement and awe, with fear and trembling means to give some real thought about what you're doing and not just going through the motions. Work out your salvation soberly and thoughtfully. Verse 13 says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you know it's God who gives you the desires and your abilities to do what what you do, maybe look at your gifting. Everyone, does everyone have some sort of gifting in here? No? If you don't have a gifting, we're going to figure out what that gifting is. If you have a gifting, raise your hand. All right. Maybe it's talking. Some of you have a gift of talking. That's all right. All right. That is something that God has given you. And if you're good in a particular area, that's probably an area that God wants to use you. Just pointing that out. If you're good in an area, look at this. So Joseph, he had dreams of the stars and the moons and the sun bowing to him. And he knew it spoke of position and authority. And, and sure enough, his brothers would bow to him one day. And they would when he was the prime minister of Egypt. But his dream came to pass not, not before he was thrown into a pit. How many, God has given you a dream? God has given you something. Something. But sometimes that means you're going to have to go through a pit before you can get to that place. Here's where I err, and this is where, where we err, is we have a dream. We have a dream. Maybe your dream is to be a mother, but you haven't got married yet. You've got to work on that. Maybe your dream is to be a missionary, but the doors just aren't opening up for you. Maybe your dream is to work with kids, but it just isn't happening. Understand this. For, for many people in Scripture, and even in my own life, That a lot of things have to happen before a vision is fulfilled. A lot of things have to happen. Sometimes it just doesn't happen overnight. I got to find my place. I went way off here. So maybe I'll just skip it. Was I on verse 12? 14, 13. Okay, thank you. That's keeping me in line. So God gives us our desires, and, and, and honestly, understand that for many people in Scripture, and even in my own life, there's, there's been a, a, a lot of things that have to happen sometimes before a vision is fulfilled. Hebrews 6.15 tells us that Abraham had to endure patiently before his promise was given. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes it just doesn't fall into place the way that we think it should fall into place. Sometimes there's a process to get you to where, you, where God wants you to be. So you might go through a pit or two, or you, you may go through prison. But know this. God will fulfill that which he has placed in your heart if you are patient and you don't give up. And I'm slowly and I'm surely learning that what I really want and what I truly desire is God's will, not mine. God's working on me on it. Things that I think that I want, God's showing me. I've got better plans than yours. Your plans are pretty weak compared to mine. Look at what I've got for you. And oftentimes, I, I've demanded my will to so many times. When I get my will, I'm like a pouting baby, and it doesn't. And I'm disappointed. I got my way, but I don't like the way this turned out. And God's like, I told you. I told you in other times I've watched the Lord work in ways I never anticipated and seen what came of it was just extremely wonderful. And it could have only come from God. I love that. Verse 14 says this. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Everyone take a deep breath. Paul, he's, he's throwing punches here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Everyone look at your wife or spouse that you're here or your friend that you're next to and say, "Uh, we shouldn't be grumbling or disputing. Can I tell you this? A submitted mind to God doesn't murmur or doesn't make excuses. I don't remember reading anywhere in any of Paul's letters where he complained about his situation. It's bad. I'm in prison. I'm in jail. You guys should send me money. No, he, here he is in prison, and he's encouraging people. He's, he's loving on them. He's not murmuring. So uh, when, you, when, uh, when we get good at making excuses, it's all you're good for. When we get good at making excuses, it's all we're good for. Well, if this didn't happen, then we just start making excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And one of the toughest lessons to teach your kids is you are responsible for your own actions. Well, mom and dad, if you would have told me, no, 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 that is your responsibility, not mine. And oftentimes murmuring, and it was a real problem for the people of Israel. You remember after God opened the Red Sea and he crushed Pharaoh and his army, the Israelites, they, they sang a few moments there. And then they started murmuring about what they would eat or drink. God just destroyed the Egyptian army and got you out of Egypt, and now you're worried about, sounds like kids when you go on a trip. We just left 30 minutes ago, and now you're hungry, and now you're thirsty. When God gave them water, they murmured some more. We got water, but now we don't have the right food, Lord. It really does sound like my kids. And they murmured again. When, when, the prom, when they got to the promised land and said, oh, it looks too impossible. We can't, we can't go in there. They, they murmured and murmured and murmured and murmured. And murmuring gets you nowhere. Deuteronomy 127 says this, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us the land of the Amorites to destroy us. The Lord hears our murmuring in our tents. When you're at home... And you're murmuring to your spouse, or you're murmuring to your dog, or you're murmuring to your kids, the Lord hears you. Lord, I don't understand this. Or if you're murmuring in your car. Paul says this, do all things without murmuring. Why? Let's read on. Verse 15 says this, that you may be blameless and innocent. You know what murmuring does? When we don't murmur, it makes us blameless and innocent. Because we're not pointing fingers not getting my way. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. How many feel like that today? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. If you choose to say, hey, I'm not going to murmur or I'm not going to excuse my behavior and I will not defend my position or I will not dispute my situation, you will shine in the light. Uh, you'll shine as a light in the world. I dare you to try it sometime. Next time you're in line at the grocery store and they don't have enough lanes open and enough people working, don't you dare murmur about it. I'm talking to myself. I didn't know Walmart was paying me to check out my groceries, right? Don't wor- Don't you murmur about it. When you're tempted to murmur, think about the goodness of God instead of what you're dealing with at that moment. Because it's probably pretty small and petty. We might say this, that the line's too long, and and we might say, hey, when we're in line, hey, they need to hire, they need to hire a lot more people. I wished I lived in Hawaii. Maybe we're murmuring about that. Indiana, hot, cold, this, nice spring day, winter's back, you know. I Wished I lived in Hawaii. We could murmur about that. Instead, we should say, what a privilege I have to live this life. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. It may not be exactly the perfect day that I thought it would be. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be able to go to the grocery store and pick up groceries and make it so easy for me to just go in and grab groceries and go home. I don't have to go out and actually plant a garden and run a whole farm and live, live off the land all by myself and take all the time to do that. Thank you, Lord, for that. If you see the good in things... You'll preach louder sermon with your life than you can with your words. People are watching you. People are watching you. So it says this, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Evidently, Paul v- viewed himself as some sort of coach, and I can't. I, and I can't wait to see. He's saying this. I can't wait to see you guys at the judgment. Uh, Getting rewards because of the way you chose to shine in a dark world. He's he's encouraging the church, shine. He's saying shine. Get brighter for Jesus. Shine in a world where people are complaining and ungrateful. He's saying, hey, I coached you. and, And you guys got the message. Verse 17 says this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith... I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, if you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying this. What he's saying right there is simple. If I end up losing my head to Caesar, which he later would, he's saying this. Rejoice with me because I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be okay because guess what? It only gets better for me. I only, I only go from this life to the next life. Look at this. The African impala can jump 10 feet high when it's running full speed. That's pretty high. That would be a sight to see in this building right now. We'd all be scattered, right? Uh, and it can jump 10 feet high. But when you go to the zoo, you will see them fenced in in a, in in a fence that is 4 to 5 feet tall only. Why? Because if it cannot see where it will land, an impala will not jump. And oftentimes, since so, uh, look at this scripture here. Paul is jumping at the opportunity to go to heaven. Here, he's saying, "I know where I'm about to land. If I die, it's just gain." Now, I feel bad for you guys because I won't be here to be able to coach and speak to you guys and love you. But if I die, guess what? I know where I'm about to land, and I'm pretty excited about it because he knows where he is going to be, where he's going to land. In Second Corinthians twelve four, it says he was caught up. And he saw a sneak preview of what it was, and and it was too much for him to even articulate. He saw a sneak preview of heaven, and he couldn't even articulate it to people. It's like, man, you guys don't even know yet, but it's going to be awesome. What a perspective to live by in our lives. Let's look at this. Verse 19 says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. This is a very good scripture to me because I'm glad that God sent Timothy to you guys soon. That's my name, just in case you guys were wondering. TJ Pastor Timothy. That's you can give me at least a courtesy laugh there. I hope in the Lord that <laughs> I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And Jesus was the ultimate example of a submitted mind. Paul, too, also had a submitted mind to the will of the Father. But here's Paul's protege, Timothy who also had a submitted mind to the will of the Father. He's, he's encouraging me. He says this, so that, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He, so he's saying this, I'm sending Timothy to you that I might find out how you're doing. Progress report. I'm sending Timothy to the, to the church. He's going to come back and, and let me know what's going on there. And I know he'll give a true report. Verse 20 says this, for I have, I have no one like him. You remember, God, God has no one like me. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just joking, okay? I'm humbling myself. God's going to make me trip up here in a minute or something. Uh, for I have no one like him who will be uh, genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul had a lot of men around him, but look at this, but only one like Timothy. And I like this because he's bold about this, and he's not even afraid to express this in a letter. He goes, there's only one like, like him. There's only one that has the heart like I have. And that's Timothy. Verse 21 says this. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So Timothy was one that didn't have an agenda on his own. He was just there serving Paul, serving God. That was his desire. He said, I care about people, and I care like Paul does. I just want to love on people, and I want to get as many people to heaven as possible. So Paul says this, I'm going to serve you as a, uh, as a son would serve his father. And I'll go if, if you want me to, Paul. Henry III of the Bavarian kingdom of Germany was burdened with the role of and the duties of being the king. Feeling pressure on all sides, he finally walked away from the throne and he went to join a monastery. This is, this is interesting to me. The king, he walk, walked away and, and he said this, went on upon his arrival. He said, I want to contemplate God and worship the Lord. That's what he said. And the abbot said, understand this, Henry, the first requirement of a monk is that he is, he is to be in total submission a monk's life is is n- not his own and, and and can you submit yourself to the Lord by trusting him? Or can you and, and can you can you submit yourself to the Lord by trusting me? And Henry said yes. And this is what the abbot said. He said, Then go back to your throne. I'm instructing you to rule and serve where God has planted you. Henry did indeed return to his throne, becoming one of the greatest German kings of history. You can look him up. The inscription on his tombstone gives this reason. Henry Henry III, the king, learned to to rule by being obedient. That's what his tombstone said. So such a man was Timothy, obedient, he was serving, and he was faithful. Look at this, verse 24, and I'm cruising through here. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm going to send Timothy. Lord willing, if I get out of this prison, I'm going to come see you as well. I have thought it necessary to send you Epiditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all. He's a little bit homesick here and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill he had gotten ill but he finds himself very sick indeed he was ill and near death so Ephroditus was one of the one who came from the philippian church and they sent him to encourage paul while he's in prison so paul's in prison they send Ephroditus there he not only was there to encourage them let them know that they had him back but that he also brought a love offering that they had given him they had given him some fi- financial support so Paul, while he's there, he says, Hey, I'm sending Ephroditus back your way because he was concerned that you might be worried about his condition. So they're getting worried that he's sick. And having heard this, he's he's concerned that if he goes back because he's sick, that they're gonna they're gonna say, Hey, you should have stuck it out with Paul. You should have tough, toughened it out. You were there, you should have stayed there with him. Now think about this for a moment for a moment. Ephroditus Okay, Epaphroditus was with Paul, was with Paul, think about this, whose sweat bands had been used in healing people. Think about that for a minute, for a minute. Think about this, Paul who laid his hands on people and they were healed. Paul, uh, the one who worked miracles through the power of Jesus working within his life. And I say this, why didn't Paul just lay his hands on him and heal him right, right then and there through, through the power of Christ. And, and I say this, for the same reason he didn't heal Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Or, or Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23. Or even himself talking about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.7 when he said, hey, I have a thorn in my flesh. Ultimately, everyone will be healed. Now look at me. I, I want to I clarify something here. Ultimately, everyone will be healed. Isaiah 53, 5 says, by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. The only question is this timing. God's timing is not always my timing. Okay? You need to understand something. Some are healed immediately. How many have ever been healed immediately of something? All right. And I believe that that, I believe that God works in that way. Uh, and 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 sometimes it takes years before God heals you. And sometimes it it takes a long time and sometimes we aren't healed until we make it to heaven. Say, "Hey, pastor, I don't understand that. Why why is it got to be that way?" Can I tell you this? Healing has to do with God's sovereignty. It does. It's in his timing. It's his so I look at this scripture and I see Epaphroditus there. And I'm like, Paul, why don't you just lay hands on that guy and heal him right then and there? He would have been good. And three times Paul asked God for deliverance. You remember in, in 2 Corinthians there, he said, I have a thorn in my flesh. And he asked him three times and God said no. You know why? Because he could give him this, this scripture that says, "God's my grace is sufficient. No matter what you're going through, you've got to depend on me. When you're weak my strength is manifested when you're struggling when god isn't answering your prayer when you feel like you're at wit's end god can manifest his power in your life you're carrying a burden you're weak god can show his strength i love that so i encourage you to follow follow paul's model pray 3 times 30 times 300 times keep praying Keep praying to get your answer or peace in your heart that says, hey, this is what the Lord wants from me. And if he wants this from me, I'm just going to embrace it. I'm just going to embrace it. So look at this. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So God healed Epaphroditus and Paul was glad. Aren't you glad when we we, uh, hear the good report of someone being healed? Now, I talked about a lot of needs when I, when I opened up here, but can I tell you something? Over the last, you'd be surprised, week in, week out, the, the phone calls that I get, that the miraculous things that God is doing within our body. I don't always share those. Sometimes I feel like I can. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I don't need to because it depends on the situation. But God is always up to something. Look at your neighbor and say, God is up to something. Verse 28 says this. And we're finishing here. Hang on with me just just a, a tidbit longer. I am more eager to send him, talking about Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. So He's warning them there. He's just telling them, hey, listen, don't give him a hard time when he comes back. You guys receive him with joy and love and honor Okay, so receive him, with, uh, uh, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Verse 34, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul's saying, making it easy for Epaphroditus to be welcomed back. And Paul doesn't, he doesn't call him weak. He doesn't call him a wimp. Doesn't say he's a quitter. He says, no, honor him. Love on him. And he calls him brother, and he calls him companion, and he says, hey, he's a fellow soldier. And He did what none of you guys would do. He came to me. And I love Paul's heart here, and he's loving on others. It's a reminder to, to us that we need to love and we need to, we need to surround ourselves and give people the benefit of the doubt when they err or when they're struggling. Look, look at this. I'm going to wrap up real fast here. So the theme of a submitted mind to Christ is this. Number one, in this chapter real fast. If you can write this down. Number one, walking in humility. Christ walked in humility. When Christ came, he, he emptied himself. To the place of going to, all, to going to the cross. If we humble ourselves after the greatest example, Jesus Christ. If we follow his example, we humble ourselves. If we are too, are obedient to the Father and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God is can do amazing things within us. Scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Jesus would say this, greater things than this shall you do. Talking about the things that he did, those are the greater things that we should be doing. Can I tell you something? When we humble ourselves, we set ourselves up to be used by God in a great way. So look at this. The second, a submitted mind doesn't grumble and doesn't murmur. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not going to grumble and I'm not going to murmur. You said it, so now you got to do it. It sees the best in others. We look up to each other instead of down on each other. We look into people's situation and say, hey, how can I be of value to them? How can I see the good in them? God values them as much as he values me. And can I tell you this? His blood covers their sins. You want a good perspective? Right here, this is a good perspective. Jesus' blood covers their sins just like it covers my sins. And his blood is not greater for me than it is for them. His blood covers their sins. He loves them just as much as he loves me. So that helps keep me down here. That should help us all st- keep on the same level. And as Paul did with Epaphroditus, see the best in people, not their weaknesses, and, but their strengths. And last. A submitted mind is humble to the Lord, sees the best in people, and a submitted mind will love God and love people. That's what it all comes back to. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for this word. God, thank you for this chapter. God, there's a lot of content in this chapter, but Lord, I know that your word does not go forth void. God, I pray, Lord, that this word, Lord, would just prick our hearts, Lord, that it would and stony ground maybe in our hearts and areas, Lord, that it would soften areas, Lord, that, that good fruit would be produced out of this. God, may the joy of our salvation move forward. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in humility as people and as a church, God, in, uh, in our community. That our church would be known as a, a church that, that loves with, with humility, that, that leads with humility, that trusts with humility. God, I ask, Lord, that as we walk in humility, Lord, that you would exalt us in due time. Not for our good, but for your good. May your name be exalted always. Lord, it will be exalted. Lord, we know that. Lord, so I pray, Lord, that as we, as we go this week, Lord, that we would be reminded to not grumble, to not murmur. Lord, as we go along, Lord, help us to see the good in people. Lord, help us to, to have a perspective like Paul. Lord, that, that the good is coming. Lord, that, that you see the good in people. Lord, cover us with your grace. Protect us. To the next appointed time, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys.